When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show. And if you want to have your say on anything on the show today, it is the Temperate Bedshed text line where you can do that. 0487 736 736 is that number. Please text us and give us your views on anything we've had to say or anything you've noticed sporting-wise overnight. But joining me on the show now is my former colleague at the West Australian, basketball writer, football writer. He really can turn his hand and his pen to anything. Craig O'Donoghue. Cod, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Duff. How are you going? I'm all right, mate. And yourself? Going beautifully. Going beautifully. Gather around. It's exciting, isn't it? They've made sure all of our teams have gathered down the bottom of the ladder together to play their opponents, and we'll all head over to South Australia and see what happens. Yeah, so, okay, let's start with gather around. What do you make of it all? I'm not sure it's going to be the success that the AFL hopes it will be compared to Magic Round and the NRL. Magic Round is such a big tradition of getting the fans to go to the games when they don't normally go to the actual games. It's a, it's a TV game, the NRL. Um, they got Last year, when you look at it, they got 300,000 people to Magic Round and they got 90,000 the week before. We've just had 360,000 going to last weekend's games. I can't see them getting that many this weekend. They've sold about 190,000 tickets. So while the NRL bases it on trying to get more people to actually go to the game, I think we'll have less people going to the games this time. So it's a, it's a different type of sport, different type of viewership, and I, I think that from a crowd perspective, we'll be well and truly down on what we're normally accustomed to. Yeah, and it's also making teams play AFL matches at suburban grounds as well and country grounds, isn't it? And I'm not sure that, I don't know, it just, that, it doesn't appeal as much as all games at Suncorp Stadium, big festival of NRL. Um, It it feels like a different concept. The other thing, as I mentioned in the editorial at the top of the show, Cod, it's another example of the AFL screwing money out of state governments other than the Victorian state government, which it gave the grand final two for 40 years for pretty much free. Um, is, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, they're doing this to get money, aren't they? That's that's what they're doing. And and the unofficial estimates on this are about $14 million, um, which I suspect is around the mark. I should ring some sources in the WA government and find out what they bid because they did have a go at it um, and just find out what the ballpark was. But, um, hey, I always respect your opinion on tribunals as a former umpire. Harry Mackay and Tom Lynch getting off. What are your thoughts? Uh, I wasn't overly surprised at Harry Mackay getting off because of the the arm can hit the shoulder sort of thing. I had a lot of tribunals where I was up there myself as as the umpire, and that was always the argument that you can't control it as easily. I don't like the action. So, like, if you're going to raise the forearm and try to push off in that way, I think you're going to end up hitting someone in the head eventually. So I'd like him to see you try to push that sort of forearm he sort of jolt out. And Tom Lynch was as clumsy as all hell. But he, he got to go after the ball. So I didn't like the fact that he got off 
Scott Freer, I thought that the thought of him getting three-plus weeks was too many, but I thought he had to at least get some sort of suspension to say, put your arms up, at least try to spoil, um, and don't just take out the poor bloke who's in front of you. The the general rule of thumb in a marking contest is you have to be contesting the ball, isn't it? And and Tom Lynch never really looked like he was in that marking contest and still turned his shoulder. They say bracing for contact. I don't like the idea of redefining what is a bump. When, when you run into someone, then it's a bump. And so, therefore, he has bumped Alex Keith, and Alex Keith has ended up with concussion, and he wasn't contesting the mark. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And, and the other one, at the end of the day, the... The, the Carlton description of this is is quite hilarious. Is that This is a technique they train. You push with your forearm because there is more surface area to get and uh, hopefully to get to the opponent and hopefully to affect the kick. So this is a kick-affecting technique. Now, two problems I have with that is, one, Harry Sheasel had already kicked the ball, so it's late, and two, what they're saying is you can raise your forearm and hit the other bloke high on the body, which eventually is going to hit someone in the head, um, and this is supposed to be a legitimate kick effect technique being trained by the club. I, I don't buy that for a second. Uh, especially when you're at Harry Mackay's height, where you're going to hurt someone because there aren't many people who you're going to be trying to affect the kick of who are your height. So you're leaning down trying to get that sort of thing done. But, um, yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's always inconsistencies. There's always problems. One thing I will say, you, you do have to sit in the actual tribunal to have a really good idea about how players got off or anything like that. And I certainly wasn't in the tribunals yesterday, but there are certainly examples where I was sitting there going, oh, this bloke's getting off based on the argument. And then the rest of the footy world goes, how on earth did that happen? And there are some lawyers who can really mount a, a really strong argument and, and give the tribunal a reason to get people off. And there's others who struggle with that when they get in there and go down a rabbit hole and end up tying themselves in knots. But if you can come up with a really good argument, often you'll give yourselves a chance of just convincing the tribunal, oh, maybe that was the action. Um, it comes down to how you word it, how you show it, and sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll get away with a couple that you shouldn't. Um, you've got to certainly have a really good argument ready to mount once you arrive. This is the problem I have with that, though, Cod, is that there is footage on all of these events. You know what I mean? Like, if this was a court of law and there wasn't footage and we we're relying on eyewitness accounts or technical experts um, to say, oh, this is what happened. No, no, we've seen what happened. It's, it's on film. You know, like it's it's like the Paddy Cripps one with Archie last year up in Brisbane. It's it's there. It's on film. It's um it's there for yeah, everyone exactly. to see. The, the notion that some King's Council can go in there and tie a bunch of people in knots with a series of words and a series of club policies on tackle of or disposal effect techniques. Um, Harry Mackay has at the end of the day hit Harry Sheasel in the side of a, in the side of the head with his forearm. That's what happened. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, the one thing we can say about that is that Harry got off because they didn't view the force as sufficient enough to um, uh, to warrant um, a suspension. But Harry Sheasel did go to ground and was slow getting up. So I, I don't buy that argument either. But, um, yeah, the AFL Tribunal at least just gives us something to talk about. And... The other people that have given us something to talk about, mate, are our two WA clubs. What's going on? What, can Fremantle turn it around or has it gone past them? 
I think it's gone past them at the moment because they don't seem to want to change the way they're playing. They're playing a very slow style of footy and they're playing a style of footy where they're struggling to win the ball in contests. And I'm not sure that they've got the size of players that they need. They haven't got the Nat Fife, David Mundy type players in the midfield anymore who are 190 centimetres plus. They're very small. Um, and as much as you can say, go harder, go harder, go harder, if, if you're 184 centimetres and the bloke stand next to you is 193 and he weighs seven kilos more than you, if you both go really hard at the ball, the bigger bloke's probably going to push you out of the way. Just, just, just maths. So uh, I, I worry for them in that regard. And they just, they're so slow off half-back that they don't give their forwards any chance of getting into a one-on-one contest. And uh, we can criticise their forwards as much as we want, but I don't think even Tony Lockett would be all that happy about playing Fremantle's forward line at the moment with the pace of that ball's coming down. So they've got a lot to change, and it's hard to change in season. And when you're one and three and you've played some teams that everyone expected you to be, Let's face it, we were saying they could be five. They're in a world of pain. Yeah, and I think the what you mentioned off the top there about the size of the players they have running around in the midfield now, it's a key, isn't it? Because if you're always having to shift the ball from halfback, you're a greater chance of having slow ball movement because you'll have 18 opposition bodies in front of you as opposed to, say, um, you know, maybe 12 if you shift it from the midfield and some of them will be caught up in the contest so they won't really be in front of you. So their inability to hold their ground in the contest, I think, is a key to that slow ball movement. And if they were getting a better result out of the contest, um, out of uh, stoppage and spread from stoppage, they would probably have a different model of ball movement. When Nathan Fife returns, based on what you've said, should he be in attack or should he be in the midfield? Well, with a foot injury that doesn't allow you to run, I can't see him having the fitness that's going to allow him to even have a chance of playing well in the midfield. So he's going to have to start forward and rebuild his fitness until he can cover the ground that's required. But they're going to have to make a decision about throwing him in there sometimes. I thought it was really interesting watching the stoppage setups in the centre square today. Andrew Brayshaw was pitted against Jordan Dawson a fair bit. And last year it would have been Fife or Mundy as that player who's Jordan Dawson's height who had been up against him, which would have put Brayshaw up against a Rory Laird who's, you know, he's got the height advantage on. So it, it all filters down. Everyone's got the ginormous midfielder in there. And when you don't have one of your own, it goes to your next best midfielder to play against them. And we know that Brayshaw hasn't had as good a season despite the numbers that he's got as what he did, did last year. So, yeah, whether Fife can do it from a fitness perspective will be really challenging. And I would imagine that he'd be five, six weeks away from being able to run around properly in the midfield and cover the ground that everyone else needs to. Well, I guess that leads to the next question, and that is that if they're lacking a big body in the midfield, why was Will Brody the one that got dropped? Yeah, and that's absolutely the problem, isn't it? They've, they dropped the wrong bloke, um, and he's their leading ground ball getter as well. Everyone talks about how you know, ground ball gets David King's been massive on it all year. He was in the top 10 for ground ball gets last year. Uh, I think that they've, they've underestimated the impact of Will Brody and what he gives to that team. And I have no doubt that he'll be back in this week and that they'll have to move one of the, probably the one of the wingers, maybe an Ethan Hughes, Liam Henry type, out of the team, push James Aish back out to that wing and chuck Brody back into that midfield mix to make sure they've just got that big body who can go in against a Noah Anderson, a Will, uh, a, a Matt Rowell, a Tuke Miller this week um, and, and try to win those, those ground balls because that's what the Gold Coast are actually good at. They're good at winning those balls that are on the ground because they live their lives in Queensland where the ball is slippery and on the ground the entire time. Yeah, and Matt Rowell was massive 
impressive in the in the last half of the quarter, last half of the fourth quarter against Geelong, when they beat them. He just every time the ball hit the deck, he was in there and on it. And so yeah, he's going to be potentially a big problem, I think, for Fremantle at the parade or Norwood Oval as they call it on uh, Friday. Hey, um, West Coast slaughtered by injuries again. Um, what are you making of their season and what lies ahead for them? What, what do they have to do to make this season a success from here, do you think? I thought the weekend was the biggest positive that West Coast could have hoped for because they they got beaten by 10 goals, but it didn't look like a 10-goal defeat. There's, there's good 10-goal defeats and bad 10-goal defeats, I reckon. And if, you, if you've got a young team and you're in the game for two and a bit quarters and then you get flogged afterwards, I reckon you can live with that, uh, especially when you're not meant to be a, a challenging team this year and we can, they can walk away saying, well, we just had a full game of Bailey Williams versus Brody Grundy. We had a full game of Ruben Jinby versus Clayton Oliver. And Jai Carly was running around against Christian Petrarca. Those guys are getting experiences they just would not normally get. And if you'd said that we'll put Nat Nui, Shuey and Sheed into that team and leave all the other injuries out, they're still going to lose that match. But they're not going to get the experience of those kids against those elite players. So I think from a rebuilding perspective, this is actually a good thing. It's been forced upon them through injury. And you can you can work your way out of this from a rebuilding perspective by just constantly saying to these kids, play against the best player, do your best. You got you hung with him for two quarters this week, try to hang in for with him for 15 minutes more this week and just eventually over the course of the season you'll get four good quarters out of the kid rather than rather than a half of, of a game so I think from where they're trying to get to the injuries are actually helping them a little bit rather than staying in games for a little bit with the experienced players and then still losing so I don't mind um, when you're trying to rebuild that these sorts of things happen to clubs by necessity with these injuries uh, put your basketball cap on now and bring us up to speed on Bryce Cotton and his bid to become an Australian citizen, which appears to be uh, almost as big a stuff up as the uh, the Quokka draw yesterday. Yeah, it's colossal. It's it's insane. Um, the reality for Bryce Cotton is right now he won't be eligible to even apply to be an Australian citizen until February 2025, and that would mean he wouldn't get his citizenship until midway through 2026. And it stems back to an appointment he had at the Home Affairs Department in Melbourne in February 2021 when the plan was to come in, cancel his normal visa, and give him a distinguished talent visa to try to get into the Olympics. But you can't have two visas at the same time. So there's a half-hour gap between cancelling one and the processing of the other. And the government is saying, you spent half an hour in the country without a visa, therefore you're illegal. And you can't be in the country illegally to get the get citizenship. You have to wait four hours. Uh, four, four, four hours. You have to wait four, four years uh, if you do that to become um, eligible again to be a citizen. So the government aren't doing anything to fix it. The previous government didn't do anything to fix it. He's frustrated. The club's frustrated. And there's, at the moment, there's lawyers involved. But neither side seems to be prepared to back down. So uh, I don't like his chances of getting this overturned because the government aren't saying any anything positive about the situation. Are we, am I right in saying that if Basketball Australia were prepared to write a letter saying he would be in contention to play for Australia, then this would help shift this, but they have not yet written that letter? Is that right? So if, if they write the letter, then yes, this changes everything. But the, according to Basketball Australia and the Australian Olympic Committee, that letter can't say in contention. 
and has to say 100% guaranteed he will play at the Olympics in 2024. And they're not prepared to do that. Um, they've told me that if they, if they guarantee he'll be in the Olympics as per the requirements that they've been told by the government and he doesn't play, then they will struggle to get other people over the line in future when they're asking to get people uh, naturalised early for Olympic qualification. So they're adamant that they don't have any choice other than saying guarantee and and then picking him afterwards. And their concern is if they guarantee him, they have to guarantee others in the future that they'll they'll be picked for any reason. And it means Matisse Thibault then can't go to the Olympics because um, they can only select one dual citizen or naturalised player. And Matisse Thibault is a dual citizen. They've also got concerns around the makeup of the team. They've got a lot of really good guards in the NBA. So um, there's challenges everywhere. But they've made it clear that they won't be writing the letter because they're not prepared to guarantee Bryce's spot in that 12. All right, Cod, always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, thank you very much for bringing us up to date on that and thank you for your views on the Tribunal and our two AFL teams. Uh, All right, have a good day. Yeah, have a good day. You going to Adelaide or are you staying in Perth? No, nah, I'm staying in Perth. Jordy McArdle's over there for us, so I'll stay in Perth and uh, watch from over here. It'll be interesting to see how it goes and whether my mighty Essendon Football Club can maintain their dominance up against the D's this weekend. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. That's going to be unbearable if they continue to play well. All right. Thank, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cod. Well done, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Have a good one. Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian, uh, one of their senior footy riders and their senior basketball rider, joining us on the show. We'll take a break and be back with more after the break. The SEN Track Hub on the SEN app, your home.